All right, this is something new, so I'm gonna try to make this as interesting as possible because I totally fucked up my last strategy and uh, trying something new now. So here is a uh, family medicine case 12. A 25-year-old man presents to your office on a Monday morning with ankle pain. He was playing in his usual Saturday afternoon basketball game when he injured his right ankle. He says that he jumped for a rebound and landed on another player's foot. His right ankle rolled over and he fell to the floor and his ankle immediately started to hurt. He did not hear or feel a pop. Uh, he was able to stand and walk with a limp but was unable to continue playing that day. His ankle swelled over the next day in spite of rest, ice, and elevation. He suffered no other injury from the fall. On examination, he's a healthy appearing man with normal vital signs. The lateral aspect of the right ankle is swollen. The right ankle has normal dorsiflexion and plantar flexion, and there is no focal tenderness to palpation of the fibula, malleoli, or foot. There's no ligamentous laxity noted on testing. He can bear weight with minimal pain. There is normal sensation and cap refill in the foot. The remainder of the exam is normal. So in this case, you want to be thinking about three different questions, one being what is the most likely diagnosis? You want to wonder what further diagnostic testing is needed at this time. And you also want to find out uh, what the most important, appropriate therapy is going to be. So in summary, we have a 25-year-old man with an inversion injury of his right ankle that occurred during a basketball game. His ankle's swollen, but he's able to bear weight and has no focal tenderness and no ligament laxity. So here, the most likely diagnosis is gonna be a sprain of his right ankle. Uh, as far as further diagnostic testing, none is needed at this time. The most appropriate initial therapy is price therapy, which means protection, rest, ice, compression, and elevation. Um, and not an NSAID or acetaminophen is needed for pain and or early mobilization. So to analyze this situation, um, we have some objectives that we want to accomplish. One is to learn an approach to diagnosis of MSK injuries, uh, know when to order imaging tests and which tests to order to evaluate musculoskeletal complaints and we want to be able to manage common joint sprains and strains. So, cons so considerations here. Ankle sprains are the most common acute sports-related injury and are a common reason for visits to primary care physicians, urgent care centers, and emergency rooms. As in this case, most ankle sprains are the result of inversion of an ankle that is plantar flexed. Landing on another player's foot in a basketball, in basketball, stepping in a hole or on uneven ground when running, missing a curb while walking. The lateral angle is injured much more commonly than the medial ankle as the bony anatomy of the tibulotaller joint and the very strong deltoid ligament complex protect the medial ankle, medial ankle from injury. The lateral ligaments, AKA the anterior talofibular ligament or the ATFL, the calcaneofibular ligament, CFL, and the posterior talofibular ligament, the PTFL, are relatively weaker and more commonly injured. 
The anterior talofibular ligament, or the ATFL, is the most commonly injured ligament, followed by the CFL, which is the calcaneofibular ligament. Ankle sprains are graded as one, two, or three injuries. A grade one sprain is stretching of the ATFL, the anterior talofibular ligament, which causes pain and stretching, but no mechanical instability and little to no functional loss. The patient can usually bear weight with at most mild pain. The history and examination of the patient in this case is consistent with a grade one ankle sprain. A grade two sprain represents a partial tear of the ATFL, the anterior talofibular ligament, and stretching of the CFL, which is the calcaneofibular ligament. This injury causes more severe pain, swelling, and bruising. There is mild to moderate joint instability, significant pain with weight bearing, and a loss of range of motion. A grade three sprain is a complete tear of the anterior talofibular ligament and calcaneofibular ligament with partial tearing of the posterior talofibular ligament. This injury causes significant joint instability, loss of function, and inability to bear weight. The Ottawa ankle rules are a decision model designed to aid a physician in determining which patients with ankle injuries need an x-ray. These decision rules have been validated for non-pregnant adults who have normal mental status, no other significant concurrent injury, and who are evaluated within 10 days of the injury. When properly applied, the Ottawa ankle rules have sensitivity approaching 100% in ruling out significant malleolar and midfoot fractures. These rules show that x-rays of the ankle should be performed if there is bony tenderness of the posterior edge or tip of the distal six centimeters of either the medial or lateral malleolus, or if the patient is unable to bear weight immediately or when examined. So to repeat that, these rules show that x-rays of the ankle should be performed if there's bony tenderness of the posterior edge or tip of the distal six centimeters of either the medial or lateral malleolus, or if the patient is unable to bear weight immediately or when examined. Foot x-rays should be performed if there is bony tenderness over the navicular bone, which is the medial midfoot, the base of the fifth metatarsal, which is the lateral midfoot, or if the patient is unable to bear weight. The patient presented who has no bony tenderness, no limitation in weight bearing, and no contraindication to the application of the decision rules does not need imaging of his ankle or foot at this time. The management of ankle sprains should follow the mnemonic PRICE, protection, rest, ice, compression, and elevation. Protection by appropriate splinting or casting can help to prevent further injury. Relative rest from activity also helps to promote ligament healing Although weight bearing can be allowed as tolerated and early functional rehabilitation exercises are crucial. Ice applied as soon as possible after the injury helps to minimize swelling and relieve pain. Compression and elevation also promote reduction of swelling. In most cases, NSAIDs or acetaminophen are adequate for pain relief. As far as the approach to sprains and strains, we have a couple definitions. A sprain, a sprain with a P, is a stretching or tearing injury of a ligament. A strain is a stretching or tearing in injury of a muscle or tendon. So a sprain is a ligament, a strain is a tearing or stretching of a muscle or tendon. So the clinical approach to this, first going to talk a little bit about the history. Um, as in all areas of medicine, the history of the presenting illness will guide the diagnostic workup. 
in the history of a patient with musculoskeletal complaints, important information to gather includes whether the primary symptom is pain, limited movement, weakness, instability, or a combination of symptoms. The onset of the symptoms, whether acute, chronic, or acute worsening of a chronic problem can be significant. The location, severity, and pattern of radiation of pain should be delineated. Associated symptoms such as numbness should be identified. Efforts should be made to identify specifically as possible the mechanism of injury that led to the complaint. Interventions that have already been made, such as ice or heat, medications, splinting, and whether or not the interventions helped should be noted. As far as the joint examination, examination of MSK system should include documentation of inspection, palpation, range of motion, strength, neurovascular status, and where appropriate, testing specific for the involved joint. Inspection should note the presence of swelling, bruising, deformity, and the use of any supports or assistive devices, such as splints, crushes, or bandages, that the patient is already using. Examination of the unaffected limb can provide a good comparison, allow for subtle changes to be more easily identified. Documentation should also be made of the patient's general functioning and mobility. Does the patient walk with a limp? Can the patient easily rise from a chair? Is there difficulty getting on the exam table? Is the patient's arm moving freely or held tightly to the patient's chest? And so on. Palpation of the affected and surrounding areas can help to localize and confirm the presence of a specific injury. A focal area of bony tenderness may lead to the consideration of a fracture, whereas a tender, tight muscle may be more suggestive of a strain. The presence of joint effusions or soft tissue swelling should be documented and may lead to consideration of specific injuries. Notation should be made of sensation, peripheral pulses, and cap refill in the involved extremity. Absent pulses and delayed capillary refill, especially if the extremity is cool or cold, should prompt emergent evaluation and management of vascular insufficiency. Range of motion should be tested both passively and actively. Active range of motion tests the patient's availability ability to move a joint. It tests the structural integrity of the joint, muscles, tendons, and neurologic impulses to the area and can be limited by problems with any of them or by the presence of pain. Passive range of motion tests the movement that an examiner can elicit in a relaxed patient. The presence of a dislocated joint or significant joint effusion may lead to limitations in both passive and active range of motion where a torn tendon or muscle injury may have limited active but preserved passive range of motion. Each joint or body area has specific exam maneuvers that can help to identify injury to specific structures. So there are some common maneuvers to test the shoulder, knee, and ankle. So first off, we've got some tests for the shoulder and rotator cuff. The first test is going to be the empty can test. Um, so with the arm abducted, the elbow extended, and the thumb pointing down, the patient is supposed to elevate the arm against resistance. Uh, this tests the supraspinatus muscle um, and it can identify rotator cuff injury or tear. Um, the uh, next test is external rotation. So with elbows at sides and flexed at 90 degrees, the patient externally rotates against resistance. Um, this is going to test the infraspinatus teres minor. It's going to test for a rotator cuff injury or tear. The next is the liftoff test. The patient places the dorsum of hand on the lumbar back and attempts to lift hand off back. This is gonna test the subscapularis um, and it's gonna test for rotator cuff injury or tear. The next test is the Hawkins impingement. 
So that's going to be pain with internal rotation when the arm is flexed to 90 degrees and the elbow is bent to 90 degrees. This is going to test the subacromial, subacromial impingement um, and it's going to identify rotator cuff injury or tear. The next test is the drop arm rotator cuff test where the patient is unable to lower his arm slowly from a raised position. This is going to be a large rotator cuff tear. As far as the ankle, um, we have the anterior drawer test where the examiner pulls forward on the patient's heel while stabilizing the lower leg with the other hand. This is going to test the anterior talofibular ligament um, and it's going to identify excessive translation of joint uh, which suggests an anterior talofibular ligament tear. There's also going to be the inversion stress test where the examiner inverts the ankle with one hand while stabilizing the lower leg with the other hand. This is going to test for the calcaneofibular ligament um, and excessive translation or palpable clunk of the talus on the tibia um, suggests a ligament tear. As far as the squeeze test, the examiner compresses the tibia and the fibula at the mid-calf. Uh, that is going to test the syndesmosis. And pain at the anterior ankle joint below where the examiner is squeezing suggests a syndesmotic injury. As far as the knee, we first got the Lachman test where the knee is in 20 degrees of flexion. The examiner is going to pull forward on the upper tibia while stabilizing the upper leg. This is going to test the anterior cruciate ligament. Excessive translation with no solid endpoint is going to suggest a tear of the ACL. The anterior drawer is going to be the knee in 90 degrees of flexion. The examiner is going to pull forward on the upper tibia while stabilizing the upper leg. This is also going to test the anterior cruciate ligament. Um, excessive translation with no solid endpoint is also going to suggest a tear. As far as a valgus stress test, in full extension and at 30 degrees of flexion, medial directed force on the knee and lateral directed force on the ankle. This is going to test the medial collateral ligament. Um, excessive translation is going to suggest a tear. And lastly, we have the uh, varus stress test where in full extension and 30 degrees flexion, lateral directed force is applied to the knee and medial directed force is applied to the ankle. This is going to test the lateral collateral ligament. Excessive translation here is going to suggest a tear. As far as imaging goes, following the history and administration, examination, the physician must decide when it's necessary to perform x-rays or other imaging tests. Validated decision rules are available to aid in some of these decisions. The Ottawa ankle rules for the determination of when an x-ray is necessary in an ankle injury were discussed earlier in this case. Similarly, the Ottawa knee rules can aid in the determination of when to perform an x-ray for a knee injury. So the Ottawa knee rules recommend performing a knee x-ray on patients with a knee injury who have any one of the following five criteria. Age 55 and older, isolated flex to the knee to 90 degrees, oops, isolated patella tenderness, sorry, uh, third tenderness of the, of the head of the fibula, four, inability to flex the knee to 90 degrees, and five, inability to bear weight for four steps immediately and in the exam room regardless of any limping. These rules were validated for and should only be applied to adults older than age 18, although further studies suggest that they may be valid in younger ages. When a decision is made to perform an imaging test, whether to acutely rule out a fracture or to evaluate an injury that is failing to improve, 
the initial imaging study of choice is the plain x-ray. At minimum, an x-ray series should include at least two views at 90 degree angles to each other. In patients with normal x-ray rays and continued symptoms, or with suspected ligament or uh, tendon injuries of the shoulder, ankle, knee, or hip, MRI has largely supplanted other modalities as the imaging method of choice. MRI is highly sensitive and specific for articular or soft tissue abnormalities, including ligament, tendon, and cartilage tears. As far as uh, management, the initial management of most acute sprains and strains is price, protection from further injury, rest, ice to reduce swelling and pain, compression and elevation to reduce edema. In most cases, NSAIDs or acetaminophen are adequate for pain control with narcotics used only when necessary. Numerous studies show that early mobilization of injured ligaments actually promotes healing and recovery. Range of motion exercises should be started as early as possible in patients with sprains and strains. For lower extremity injuries, protected weight-bearing with orthotics is allowable with advancement to unsupported weight-bearing as tolerated. Crutches may be necessary initially because of the painful weight-bearing. The most common cause of persistently stiff, painful, or unstable joints following sprains is inadequate rehabilitation. All patients with a sprain or strain injury should be educated on the importance of rehabilitation exercises. When possible, handouts with a specific exercise program should be given to the patient when the patient is evaluated. If the patient is unsuccessful in accomplishing this on his own, referral for a formal physical therapy program can be beneficial. All right. So as far as clinical pearls here, a complete history and physical is essential in diagnosing and treating musculoskeletal injuries. If you suspect that a patient's limited active range of motion is primarily as a result of pain, you can numb the joint by injecting lidocaine in it and then re-examine the joint. Use the uninjured contralateral extremity as a comparison for your examination of the injured extremity. An adequate x-ray series must include at least two views at 90 degrees to each other. There we have it, ladies and gentlemen, the Ottawa ankle rules slash musculoskeletal injuries.